Hello there. Welcome to episode 7 of Death by Paper Cuts, a podcast about stencils and the people who knew way too much about disposing of razor blades. I'm your host, Joseph Richards, and you can find me on Instagram at In the Perimeter. Today, I'm joined by Joseph Steininger, a stencil artist out of Seattle, and we covered a lot in this episode, ranging from his transition from printmaking to stencils, how he discovered his distinctive color scheme, and his uh, <laughs> unorthodox cutting method. So there's also a YouTube video he has with Jay Reinhardt Gallery that I referenced a few times during our talk. So if you enjoy this episode, you should definitely go check that out too. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy. All right. Well, Joseph, fellow Joseph, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It'll be uh, fun. Yeah, for sure. So I told you a few minutes ago, I watched your your walkthrough of the gallery show you did earlier than year, and you talked a little bit about how you got started. Um, it sounded like you came over from, from printmaking. How did you make that transition from that to, to stencils? Yeah, so uh, maybe about 10 years ago, or so. Uh, I had been doing printmaking for about a year. And I mean, stencils, essentially, a form of printmaking. I mean, I know a lot of stencil artists like to see themselves more as like painters. But the process itself is a lot more in line with like screen printing, woodblock printing, instead of, you know, burning a screen or cutting out, you know, a piece of wood, you're cutting holes in paper. And then what you remove or add is what you're printing, essentially. And then with like the addition work and everything, it just really lent itself to combining this printmaking and stenciling experience. And then kind of like a lot of stencil artists and artists in general, you know, I saw kind of what was being done in the realm of stencils. Obviously back then it was like a lot of Banksy, a lot of people doing like three or four layer stencils. Uh, and coming from a background of printmaking, I was just kind of seeing what everyone was doing. And being the cocky person I was, I was like, you know, I could do this, but like so much cooler. <laughs> yeah. And I was just thinking like where limits were. And I knew one guy locally who was kind of doing it, but there were so many decisions he was making about his work where I was just like, I would, I was always just thinking like, I would do this different. I would do this different. Those colors are garbage. And so kind of looking at it from like a, yeah, I could do this and I could see like where my version of this would go and then it kind of just blew up from there and you know i doing printmaking for about a year and there was like some interest in it but i mean i would not have been as successful of it as i've been now had i just stuck in that sort of like relief print printmaking world so as someone like i don't have a background in that how does that compare to stencil you, you mean like referencing like the color separations kind of that part of it no, just more like the actual like physical cutting of the stencils part. So like with relief printing, you start with a block instead of paper. It's like a linoleum block or there's it's like a rubber. And then instead of cutting holes in paper, you're just carving out the linoleum block, what you want printed and not printed. Oh, it's so like a stamp almost. Yeah, you're just like making a stamp. And then, you know, to translate that into multiple layered stencils, you would just make a stamp for each layer. The difference between 
the relief printing and stenciling though is like what you're cutting away on a print is what is not being that color or inked. Whereas with a stencil, what you cut away is getting the color. And then like screen printing is almost exactly the same as stenciling without like agony of hand cutting your stencils. Instead of, <laughs> it's the fun part, right? Yeah. It, I mean, I love it, but uh, instead of like cutting out those stencils, what you're essentially doing is burning a stencil onto a screen and then you can just screen it, you know, all day long. So the idea of stenciling is, I mean, it's based in printmaking sort of world. And back when I first started, I was really obsessed with this blog called uh, OMG Posters. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's a screen printing blog. And every day they would post these amazing screen prints that were being people all over the world. And I was seeing people like Aaron Horky and Jay Ryan had done this collaborative screen print where it was like 32 hand-drawn layers of screen print all made into like this perfect like mix of color and it's all like separated like stencils but it's all drawn you know imagery Uh, and it kind of just showed me like ideally where i'd like to head um but yeah it's it's been a weird process to explain to people because people are familiar with printmaking but once you start talking to people about multi-layer stencils and how it all works people's eyes just glaze over because they just can't they can't understand i you like break it down into simplest terms like so you know those stencils you can buy that are for like the letter a it's like that but crazy yeah i feel like i i think i talk about this every episode too but i feel like people can wrap their heads around that like a single layer like you right. cut this out and the paint goes through there but once you start stacking like especially like I had no idea how many layers you did until I watched that video. Um, you start telling them where you're in the 18 to 20 range for layers. Yeah. It's it's almost unless you do it, it's like almost impossible to to follow that process. I think it's true, and I mean you can explain that you know like so each color, and then, you know I'm not I'm not doing things where you know I'm doing four layers but spraying different part of each layer a different color so it's like one layer is or one stencil is one solid color typically and so you can at least explain that portion pretty easily like every part that's red was one stencil mm-hmm. but yeah it's it's interesting to see there's always like a triple take with my work where people are like oh this is a nice painting and then they see the label and they're like oh it's spray paint how do you do that? And then you explain it and then they get sort of like a third appreciation for like what they're actually. Looking at. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think your lines kind of make it look like a painting too. And I don't know if that's intentional. A little bit like the transition, but you know what I'm saying? Like the transition between the colors are not, you know, maybe as harsh as, as they sometimes can be on stencils. Totally. And I mean, and that just comes from one breaking it down into more stencils. Cause I mean, the more limited, like if you do a run of four stencils, you are going to have a lot more like slip breaks and colors cause you're not doing all that shading in between. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it depends on the piece, but yeah, I try my work as far as like a lot of the stencil work I've seen other people do. It looks a little less stencil like. Uh, just, I think because of the process and how many layers I'm using. And you also said something in that gallery video and I'm probably just going to reference that a bunch. So it's, (laughs) it's a, 
to anyone who's listening, it's it's J Reinhardt Gallery. If you just search that on YouTube and then and then Joseph's name, he does a walkthrough of an exhibit he did. And it's it's like 40, 45 minutes, but it's really interesting where they go piece by piece and you answer questions about your process. And I heard you saying there that you go from light to dark most of the time because you take the pictures during the day and you don't want the black overspray to, to bring out shadows that you're not necessarily wanting to accentuate. So I thought that was interesting too. Just all the all the thought you put into it is is interesting to me. Right. Well, and I mean, one of the I'm I don't use nuts or bolts or spray adhesive to to lay my stencils down. I kind of, you know, if there's a part that needs to be like really crisp, I'll be a little more careful about it. But in general, I kind of embrace that overspray. Um, and I think it just adds like an additional level of shading. If you're going from lightest to darkest, it does kind of break up those sharp edges even more because yeah you have that like light misting and it's accidental it doesn't pop up in the same place every time um so it also kind of like turns what used to be an addition of three identical pieces like there are some slight differences here and there because you know there's overspray and drip and then yeah that black that black layer lasts uh, is really important because that's kind of what brings it all together and like gives you that crisp shadow. As much as I can, I try not to use black last layer. You know, if I'm doing a piece that's mostly blue, I'll use like the darkest in that blue range just because black can look kind of like a little too dark with a lot of work. But if you use like, I mean, I use Montana 94 much exclusively. So more often than not, like Poseidon Blue, which is the darkest in that blue range, is my black. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, just so you don't have such a strong contrast between the those last two layers. Exactly, yeah, because, I mean, bl- and black is not real color that you see as often as we use it in work. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I've I've started actually trying to do it as my first layer just because I try to... I've been trying to mist it on too and kind of blend the layers a little bit more. And I find that when I, when I do it last and I accidentally go too heavy, it stands out that much more, you know, cause it's, it's real easy to, for that to be like a solid layer. And then the rest of it is kind of translucent to a certain degree. So it, it definitely kind of ruins the whole piece for me. It just (laughs) makes me, just makes me mad. You get to the end and like, Oh, it's so careful. And then I just went too too heavy on this one layer. And then it just, you know, kind of distracts from everything well and i mean and it just depends what your intention is right so like i mean podcast favorite logan hit his most of his work (laughs) most of his work is photographs he takes uh, at night and so for him black doesn't make as much sense as the last layer and he sprays more darkest to lightest because he wants the overspray over the dark part to kind of look like illuminated light Mm mm-hmm and so if he's, he went darkest or lightest to darkest, he would really be bogging down sort of that like illuminated light that you find so often in his work that kind of makes his work so incredible. And so it just depends what you're working on. Like, I, I know you have a few people on here who start in the middle, which I think is fucking bonkers. So <laughs> like, <laughs> to each their own. I mean, they've got a process that works for them. 
And, you know, it's one of the, one of the things that, you know, is great about this podcast is, you know, if you're an oil painter, you can go find a million books about like tips and tricks for making your best oil painting. But there's not a lot of resources out there of, you know, like best tips and tricks for spray paint stenciling. And so you do learn a lot of this as you go. Yeah, that's been like the really interesting part of this is everyone has such wildly different processes. And it's a lot of stuff that I would never even think of because I kind of have my process and I guess in my own little bubble to a certain degree. But yeah, that's been that's been the most fun is just to learn. My plan is I'm just going to steal from all of you guys just a little bit. And then the end, you know, but I mean, hopefully everyone's doing that. I think there's stuff on here that everyone could kind of pick and choose to help them out. Oh, totally. And I don't understand necessarily when people are like overly secretive because I mean, yeah, it's just not like oil painters are like, yeah, this is how I did this. Cause it's not like, like them showing you their technical skill is not all of a sudden going to make you an amazing oil painter. And so it's like, you know, I can show you what I do, but you know, the subject matter I use, I use all my own photos. Um, I mean, everything about my work is going to be very different than if you tried to do the exact same thing in the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Plus, I feel like this is so labor intensive of a hobby that right. that'll kind of that'll kind of separate things out on its own. Especially like the stuff you're talking about with eighteen to twenty layers. There's not <laughs> there's not a lot of us that are going to sit down and and put that much into time into cutting stuff out. So. No, you have to like, I always tell people, I was like, you really have to like cutting small holes into paper. <laughs> like, it's just, and there's probably something like very OCD about it in a way that I can just sit down for 14 hour time, just cut small holes in paper with Seinfeld on in the background. Yeah, but, that's you funny. Know, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there are worse hobbies to have, right? So yeah. I already know the answer to this because I messaged you a few weeks ago when you you posted the, um, I think it was those Black Lives Matter pieces yeah. that you were doing. Yep. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to have this done by Christmas. And that was, I think it's the first time I messaged you. I'm like, you're laser cutting these, right? Like, there's no way this dude is going to hand cut all this and paint it. And it was like three weeks before Christmas. Uh, yeah, I think I posted about it on the 4th or something, like the 4th of December or something like that. And I was done with it around like the 12th. Yeah, I was like, this maniac, he's just a... A savage cutting these out so quickly. It was, that blew my mind when you said that. I mean, we have a painting going on. What else am I going to do? <laughs> so this is your, this is like your full time? Yeah, it's been my full time just pretty much since the pandemic started. I was, you know, doing other stuff before this, but that all kind of fell through around the time the pandemic started, which was kind of fine. I mean, it was one of those things. I've been working for companies like Amazon and Facebook for most of my adult life. And Mm -hmm. so people would always ask like, Oh, well, when are you going to transition to just doing art all the time? And it's like, man, how do you give up that? Like, fuck you Facebook moment. So this was kind of the, (laughs) the result of losing that was like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to focus on my art for a while and maybe I'll pick up a job again when, you know, this isn't cutting it. But yeah, it's it's been kind of funky because you'd think everything would kind of wind to a halt during all this. But, you know, during the pandemic, I got picked up by a gallery in New York. Um, I just got like a new represent, 
like a new art dealer in the Netherlands that's showing my stuff. So it's like, it's just weird how shit works out. Yeah, that's well, that's really cool. Well, congrats on that, man. That's Thanks. that's awesome. How does so how does something like that come together? Well, it's all like I like things happen like very organically. Like I usually don't push my stuff a lot. Um, like I am represented by the Seattle Art Museum here. Uh, they have like a gallery where they rent and sell my work. And I had known the curator online, strictly online social media. For like two or three years, we'd comment and forth on each other's stuff. And, you know, had I contacted her three years before it was like her idea to come do a studio visit, she'd probably have been like, oh, a little too pushy. That's going to be a <laughs> no for me. And then I that, yeah. that would have just been a dead connection. And so I kind of waited for her to come around. Uh, and she had made some sort of post about an opening they were having at the museum. And I was like, oh, such a bummer. My studio is part of in the main building for like the Seattle art walk. And so I was like, bummer. Like I can never go to your openings. Cause I always have to have my studio open. And she messaged something along the lines of like, Oh, I've been meaning to like come by for coffee and studio visit at my studio. And so I had her by and she was like, not to be too forward, but do you want to have a show at the art museum or whatever? And I was like, yeah, as a matter of fact, that sounds amazing. So yeah, it's just kind of all of my weird connections are just kind of like right time, right place, kind of waiting for the right moment. And then uh, that kind of lined up my Seattle gallery and then the Seattle gallery after the opening you watched the door for. I had all these mm-hmm. amazing exhibition photos because um, it's a beautiful space. She did a really great job, you know, where she put everything and so I just took those exhibition photos and I sent them to a gallery in New York. And I was like, I know you're probably not looking to add new artists right now because, you know, pandemic. Mm-hmm. But when you are like, here's a very successful show I just had. You know, I've had successful shows here, here, here. And then he was immediately like, yeah, let's set it up. And I had a show there like three months later. Wow. Just because it, worked, it happened to work out with what he was going through because he was having artists cancel because they didn't want to deal with all this through the pandemic. So it was just like another like right place, right time. And then the art in the Netherlands had been following my Instagram for a while. And then I random or and he had complimented one of my newest pieces. And like, you know, if you ever want uh, me to send some of this to the Netherlands, you know, let me know. That'd be great. And so it just kind of all worked out. So it's like, right place, right time, like kind of feeling out the situation because you don't want to come off as like almost overly eager or like presumptuous or too like pretentious about it. And my kind of attitude has always been like, if this is a good fit, it's a good fit. If it's not a good fit, you're not doing either of us a favor by like humoring me. So say if you had done it three years ago, do you think you would have been ready? Like how much, how much is your... How much have you progressed in those three years? Like, do you think it, the timing worked out better that way? I think it did work out better. I had a much like tighter body of work, and that's kind of something that's definitely progressed in the last. I mean, even the last two years, I can see like how much more locked down I'm getting. You know, I used to just paint whatever I wanted to, like any imagery that I thought would be cool. Mm-hmm. But then my galleries and kind of like my support structure in my community. 
have kind of like helped me narrow down like you know those pieces were great but this is like a little more successful of a road you could take but my subject matter is really like narrowed down my color choices have been a little more refined and so kind of just being a lot more intentional about what I'm putting out so how did you you've done a lot of like those red and blues how did you come across that color scheme uh that one was kind of a happy accident in a way i mean as anyone who knows with spray paint knows or works with spray paint knows you know we don't get the luxury of mixing paint like other artists do Mm -hmm. Um, you know we're stuck sort of like the prescribed 250 or whatever cans that are available from each brand or whatever um and so I had a few good sort of like other combos I really liked. And then I came and then I decided I wanted to use more red in my work. The running joke, I guess, in the gallery world is like, what paintings do you think are going to sell first? It's like, oh, the one. Because apparently art that has red in it is the key. And so I was like, well, I don't use a ton of red. I could try to throw in some red. And then I really liked this sort of like reddish purple gradient that 94 had. Mm-hmm. It's that with the kind of solid blue gray gradient and it just sort of clicked and I ran with it. Um, I think almost every piece I made in 2020 was pink and blue, <laughs> but it worked and it, and it made for a really cohesive show. So that's kind of the nice part about it is when you put them all together, it looks good. Like Mm -hmm. the subject matter can be a little different, but if you have that color palette heated, it'll look very like clean and polished. And some people won't like it. Like I've, I already had one person kind of tell me that pink was not their favorite color to have in painting. I get it, but I love how they look. And I've been kind of like fussing with some other color combos. I mean, when you're doing 18 to 24 layers, I spend so much time on my color matching to make sure that the colors all go together, that they're like going to be really cohesive. Because one of the things I've noticed about like the spray paint work I dislike the most are the ones where I'm like, are you just picking random colors out of a hat? And I think people just need to spend a little more time on that aspect of it because just because this part was green... If the rest of it is going to clash with that, like you have the option to have a little bit of creative license. So I think I was a little more careful about some of my color choices. So yeah, when I found the pink and blue, I was like, yeah, this is going to be it for a while. Well, that's a good point about for the shows too. So you can, you can almost use like the color scheme as your, as your theme. And then your pieces can kind of be whatever you want subject wise. Yeah. And my galleries have given me that direction of like, this is even like the subject matter we want you to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, a lot of how my work has evolved has just been kind of from that pushing to like, you know, you want it to look cohesive as like a body of work. You want to start working on like this sort of subject matter. So it's kind of just, it's happened like both organically, but like with a little pushing and like, I'm getting ready for an international art fair hopefully for the spring, as long as it's still open in Germany. And I'm being like so careful with what I'm doing because I'm, well, this is my first real major international opportunity. I have to like be really, 
intentional and considerate of what I'm going to present. And then I'm like, well, why aren't I this picky all the time? And so I think that's kind of like you're forced into these situations, but then it kind of shows you probably the direction you should be headed. Anyway. Yeah, I was going to say you had like a, I think you had a bridge in there. There was a lot of greens in that one show. Yeah. Uh, the video I watched. But other than that, yeah, it was a lot of the red, reds and blues. Yeah. That bridge was an older piece, so it oh, okay. kind of just got snuck in just because I had it on hand, and it, I love that piece. Yeah, no, that was great. And then another thing that struck me, and, and you mentioned it too on there, like it's hard to see on Instagram, like the the size of all these paintings. Like the way you cranked them out, I assume they were smaller, but the, a lot of these are, are giant. What is, so say that last one, that, that Black Lives Matter one, like how many hours do you spend cutting that? That was a smaller one. So that one, well, smaller for me. So that one was 16, or no, 12 by 18, I think. Okay. So not not tiny. That's not bad, yeah. But it's like a good, decent size. But I probably spent, I don't know, like 40, 40 to 50 hours on it. Well, you could see like the ones y'all are standing at that it's like, she mentioned it, you know, it's social distancing just to stand on either side of this painting. You had a lot of like six foot pieces in there. Yeah, that truck piece especially, that's, yeah, it's three tall, six feet wide. And wow. that piece probably took me, you know, three weeks to make. That's uh, crazy. But yeah, most of my work, my kind of happy spot is 36 inches by 54. Uh, kind of just like a nice, solid size. And everything I sell, for the most part now, is through a gallery. And so they're taking a 50% so, yeah, you kind of have to make it that much more worth it. Like, for my big pieces, I'll usually make them in about an addition of three. For that Black Lives Matter piece, I think I made, like, ten of them. And so it kind of all shakes loose based on the addition size and the amount of time. But, yeah, it just depends. Do you save any years, or do you do you scrap them after you're, you're done with I that edition? Scrap them pretty much immediately. And it always like blows people's minds because I've posted videos like I'll spray, I'll finish cutting it two minutes later. I've sprayed two or three of them. And then after the edition, I just immediately throw it away. And they're like, you just spent four hours on that. And then like 40 minutes later, it's in a pile on your floor. <laughs> but you know, I, I got, it did what it was supposed to do. I spray all of my addition at once, so I have no need to go back. And if I ever wanted to do a similar, even the same picture again, I wouldn't do it in the same size. I wouldn't do it with the same amount of layers. Like if I, That was the truck piece that you saw in that gallery show. Actually, my second time doing that piece, but the first time, it was like 12 by 24. So real small. And then... It did really well, and I just loved that picture. And so I wanted more of them, but I wouldn't just do the same exact thing. Like, to me, that's kind of boring. You know, if people have imagery that they want to use over and over again, I have no problem with that. But for me, it's like, you know, after I've spent a week or two weeks working on a piece, you know, I'm kind of just over it. I don't want to keep bringing that same thing back. It's kind of, it's just not exciting for me to, like, keep revisiting the same imagery. So once I do my small edition, yeah, the stencils are gone. Yeah, I'm the same way. Like I, I used to carry them around from like house to house when we moved, and 
finally when, when we moved back here from Austin, I I trashed everything. So there's yeah. some I wish I had kept, but yeah, it's the same thing. And then it made me, you know, work on new stuff too. So totally, I like that uh that statue piece you're working on right now. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to do. So I've got a really big one I'm working on, and I've been doing those smaller ones just to kind of get some practice in like with spraying and I always like the texture that statues you right. know you can get with those and I'm trying to practice more at the bridges so those are just like little fun ones to to get some reps in I guess so to speak totally well and what I like about that one is like you really do make the the head part really pop out from like where the neck is like it yeah. has a really good like 3d quality to it and with my work, like some of my work does like pop out a little, but it's almost all accidental. Like some of the work just like re- looks 3D kind of on its own. Um, and it's just a happy surprise when it happens. But yeah, yeah I think statues kind of maybe lend themselves to that too, just because that like the detail is in the face. So that's kind of what I focused on for the right. stencil for the most part. So, or you know what? I'll just take take the compliment and say it was all, it was all me. <laughs> right. Design, all my design I mean, choices. <laughs> I think it is all you, but yeah. Well, and you, I noticed you do the registration marks. I do. Which I do. A lot of, fun. you don't do this? No, I, uh, I just line up the edge. So I'll print like a, like a one inch margin all the way around my work, but then I'll kind of figure out which corner I want to line up to. And then I just eyeball it, but it's, it's, it works for me. Yeah, I know. There's lots of people that do that. And I just, I, uh, I haven't actually tried it. I, I probably should on these smaller pieces, but it just, I feel like it would just stress me out to, to lay it down and then be off by like just a hair. Which well, is... and, that, and that does happen to me. And you, you do have a good amount of wiggle room, at least the way I lay out my stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. if you're working on, do you know the spray paint artist Penny? He goes by one penny piece. Yes. So his work is like so tiny and so intricate that like you really can't be off at all. Like you would have to line things up so perfectly. But since I work a lot larger, my details are a lot larger and I design my stencils in a way where I build in a lot of overlap. You know, I'm not completely cutting everything every time but I know where the next layers are going to lay on top as I'm cutting. So I kind of give myself wiggle room there. But yeah, I don't think I would do registration marks unless I was working on like an oddly shaped board. But if it's just like a, or like a circular piece, because how do mm-hmm. you line up the edges on a circle? <laughs> like to be in the same place every time, but on a rectangle, I mean, yeah, edge, Eyeing the edge has worked so far for me. Huh. Well, maybe I just need to stop being a baby and try that out. There's another guy that does, um, it's, it's Lee Henderson on uh, Instagram. And he does kind of the same thing where he does all these super detailed ones on like dollar bills or like two of them, two dollar bills. And I, yeah, of course he has tons of registration marks just for like what you're talking about, just because the scale's so small if right. you're off on those. But yeah, it's, I can't imagine cutting all that. That, oh, yeah. that tiny. His work is crazy. I'm looking at yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, I feel like almost with like a de- the details, you, especially now, like I'd, I'd try to do like 11 by 17s just because they're quicker. But some of those tiny like little bridges I'm trying to do, I like, well, this would be way easier if it was like a 
a two foot by three foot piece, you know? Oh, for, absolutely. Yeah. Lawson. Yeah. I th- I've done some small pieces, but like some five by sevens. And I've even thought like, you know, the stencils are probably identical to how I would cut this. If it were like three times as big, it's just that I've shrunk it down and now I'm cutting these tiny infuriating holes. <laughs> Like, yeah. why am I doing this to myself? It would go so much faster and be so much easier on my hands and my eyes if I just, like, blew this up. But part of my artist statement, pretty much since I started doing this, where, you know, I, keeping my art at least somewhat affordable has always been really important to me because, you know, everyone should be able to afford original art, um, which is kind of one of the reasons I'm not too snobby about, like, stencil artists who just like want to paint portraits on vinyls and sell them for 20 bucks it's like great if someone can like some people like that is their art budget and they can buy a piece where they're supporting art and they're you know getting original artwork in their home like that that's a win for everyone and so the smaller works i do the intention is sort of to try to keep them affordable but man are they a pain to work on yeah, another thing is is kind of cost too, because I I have to go like the big ones. I have to go print them off, and right. I basically just do this for fun right now. So, telling my wife I'm gonna go spend fifty bucks printing this thing off to to sit in my office is a hard sell. So oh, maybe definitely. if I were, <laughs> maybe if I started selling things, um, it'd be a different story. I, I probably wouldn't be so hesitant to start blowing things up a little bit bigger. Right. Well, fortunately, I'm fortunate where I have a two foot plotter where, you know, for my big 36 by 54 pieces, I do have to, you know, tape two stencils together. But, you know, when I started doing this, I was tiling even big pieces. Like one of my first pieces was four feet by four feet. And I tiled the whole stencil together on eight by 10 sheet or eight oh, by no. and just taped them all together, lined that shit up. And so, yeah, I mean, I should have waited because that was yeah, the same way. To that do. sounds miserable. Yeah. But I mean, when I left my job, I was working at Microsoft for a while. And when I left that job, I probably printed out a year and a half's worth of 17 <laughs> inch pencils before I left. And they were all That's like, funny. I'd have to tile together. But it was like probably like five or six reams of paperwork. <laughs> But I was like, you know, this is, I'm a poor artist. Like, <laughs> you know, make this work. Microsoft could not care less. So, Oh, I used to work at a construction, or I still work at the same place, but I'm remote. But when I was in office, we had the giant plotters to print out plans. And I used to do bigger stuff, and I would just print it off at the office because, yeah, they didn't care. So yeah. I, I do miss that a little bit now. But And I mean, even if you had to bring in your own ink and paper, like the cost of it is like, it's so worth it. Oh yeah, I'd spend like a hundred bucks for, you know, a roll and and some ink and be set for months. Yeah, it'd definitely be worth it. I think especially it especially if you're just doing like three or four layered pieces. Yeah. I go to like a Kinko's here and the sixteen by twenties are I don't know, maybe like two fifty a, a layer now. So yeah, it's gonna add up fast. Yeah. I usually try and stop around six or seven, but that's still you know, it's a, it's a decent amount for Something I'm just messing around with, but yeah. Do you endeavor to add more layers to your work? Are you are you ever going to get into that fifteen sixteen uh, realm? 
I would like to start adding color, so I think at some point I'll kind of have to start bumping them up. But I see, so you're just so much because you have the colors on separate layers, right? That's why. So I see people that just do it all on once and then spray. Like Logan Hicks does that a lot. Get get my get my one mention in this episode. Where he does, you know, all the colors on single layers. So he's still doing four or five layer stencils, but he has I don't know ten or twelve colors or something crazy on there. I think the way that he does his stencils, he sets it up to be like a like a black and white gradient, like a gray gradient. Mm-hmm. And so if you do, you know, a four layer stencil and you've broken your posturization or however you're doing it into four layers, then that gradient is built in anywhere you want to use specific colors. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of works out, you know, the only difference is instead of being like the part that he wants yellow, he could have that whole gradient printed on its own set of stencils. It's just kind of taking what would have been on a colored stencil and mixing it in with things that are of like the same value. Yeah. So no, that, that it's makes a smart sense. way to work, but I, I mean, it would drive me fucking nuts. <laughs> just not how yeah. brain works. It's like too much to like pay attention to. I'm really particular about how certain things line up and like his has this sort of like freeing sort of effortless quality to it where he's probably not, I know he's like to some degree a perfectionist, but clearly like he's able to sort of like go with what, you know, he's just inclined to do in the moment. And that would just, after spending hundreds of hours cutting my stencils, I need to know what I'm getting. <laughs> I can't just That's be true. like, I'm going to spend a hundred hours cutting and you know, I'll just, I'll just see how it sprays. We'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah that's I'll funny. just do like 50 <laughs> test sprays and spend another like month of my life trying to make this look how I want it to look. Are you a big test spray guy or you just kind of no. go? Yeah. I just go. I'm really in my, I do a lot of my work in illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so within Illustrator, after I sort of separated everything out, I pull up a PDF of the Montana spray colors and I color match every stencil because I do want to make sure that the colors go together, that it makes sense. You know, I could do, or I could set like a 25 layer stencil, but if I can only make 16 of those colors work, then I'm, you know, wasting my time. Mm-hmm. So I'm really thorough with my color selection before I've even started cutting. I do the same thing. Like I have a palette, and uh, I just do it in Photoshop. But I do that to kind of pick colors. I, I got one piece. I think I'm just gonna color like one part of it to start, just to kind of get that down. And then the full color stuff is really cool to me. It's just hard to wrap my head around it right now, just just because I haven't done any of them. Right. So. But yeah, that's interesting that you say we're talking about how Logan does it. I guess after the first, I guess the first one is the the nerve wracking one, right? Because once you get it right, you have the colors on there, and you can kind of see what goes where. It's true but that that initial one, yeah, with the way he blends everything, I just I, I don't I don't know if I could handle that that stress. Same as you. Yeah, it's just it's not how my brain. It's just yeah. I I and that's the other thing. It's like I know it works for me. Why, like, fix something that's not broke? Like, I'm, right. I'm thrilled that other people have found ways that work for them because this is, a you know, a very frustrating process for most people. 
And so if they found ways to like that work for them, that make it easy for them, go for it. Do you feel like your process is, is different from anyone you've heard on here? Yeah, you've had a couple guys where I'm like, I, I think you're just making life hard for yourself. But, uh, you know, it works for them, and that's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think my process is, like, particularly special where it's not similar enough to what everyone else is doing. There are some things that I might pay more attention to because there's just things that within, like, what I've seen other people do with stencils that I either really love or I really dislike. And trying to make it look less stencil-ish is really important to me. So kind of like cleaning up a lot of, and not necessarily cutting exactly what the stencil laid out. Like it, it not only has to make sense as a stencil, it has to make sense like when you complete it. So sure, maybe your Photoshop or whatever you're using told you that this part should be kind of like weird and grainy. But that's just because the computer was trying to like make sense of this photograph. If as you're cutting it, it doesn't make sense that this arm has like where it's supposed to look shaded all of a sudden has like this weird growth looking thing on it. Like you don't have to go with that. So I think my process mostly differs in like just, you know, how I, how particular I am about really random things that probably only I care about. Yeah. Do you think that's, that's also cause you're taking your own photos? Like you have a better idea of what it's going to look like in your head. Like when you're, well, I guess a better way is what what do you look for when you're taking a photo of something that you think is going to be a stencil? Well, and right now, because like, so the, my galleries have kind of tried to focus me into doing, you know, a lot more like industrial stuff, cityscapes. I do a lot of paintings that have graffiti in them, which is kind of like a weird thing to move into. But everywhere I go, I'm always looking for an opportunity to take like a photo that will make sense with my work. As you probably can assume and have experienced yourself, like as I'm taking these photos, like in my head, I'm already getting an idea of like how it's going to break down, like what I'm hoping it can look like once it's broken down and what color I would use. And it kind of, you do see the world very differently when you're taking photos with the intention to then later turn into stencil work. I'd, been taking my own for obviously not the statues but for everything else i've done lately has been uh, my own photographs and the same thing i kind of look for stuff that already has maybe texture built into it just because that always ends up looking really cool as a stencil it just gives you gives you more to play with i think definitely so i kind of gravitate to that i got a bunch of pictures of like abandoned houses and buildings and stuff that it's kind of the same same stuff that it sounded like you you were looking at definitely in that video. Yeah, I think that stuff's really cool and they always make always make good good stencils. They do, and it's funny too because, you know, there's so many things I paint where I think like, you know, if this was just someone's view outside their like door in the city, like they would hate it. Like no one mm-hmm. like I could paint a portrait of like a dirty like a dumpster in a dirty alley. And it's not like if you saw that in person you would think anything special about it. But all of a sudden it's been painted. And you're like, oh, that's really pretty, that dumpster in the dirty alley. <laughs> so, it, and I mean, and same, similar with abandoned buildings. It's not like anyone, most people don't walk into an abandoned building. And like, well, this is, you know, a picturesque place. But all of a sudden, once it's a painting, like, you know, and that's kind of what we do as artists is try to find the interesting aspects of it. And then, you know, there's a new appreciation for it. But 
I really enjoy some light trespassing uh, into places I probably am not meant to be, but you know, it's all for the art. <laughs> yeah, you can tell the cops that, right? Just it's all for the art. Yeah. There's some abandoned like schools a couple towns over from here that I, I keep wanting to. I would love to be able to like get inside and see what's going on in there. I think totally. it would be some really cool stuff or terrifying stuff. Either either one, I guess, would make a good a good painting. Do you do you find yourself maybe because I've kind of found this? Do you find yourself like cropping out certain details to make a painting of your pictures? Yeah. So like, I am not a photographer by any. I I give an honest shot, but like every picture I take, I'd crop or edit in some way. And that's something that's really changed about my process is how much time I spend now editing photos. But yeah, there's a few things. I always adjust the perspective. Like I always really want like straight up and down lines to give you like that staring straight on sort of perspective. And then, yeah, I crop it to like whatever is the most interesting version of the picture I took. And then from there, I edit the crap out of the colors. And the editing, the colors part, I'd always done a little bit, but around the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, I'm just going to watch a YouTube video and figure out how to do this better. And after like four minutes, I like quadrupled my Photoshop skills. And I was like, why didn't I watch this dumb video like five (laughs) years ago? Like it felt like such a waste, like I'd been wasting my time and like making work that wasn't as good could been because I just didn't think to go look up how to do it. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? I don't, and it was like I had a very specific like color scheme I wanted to go for for a picture, and it was when I was starting to do these like pinks and blues, and so I was like, how do I adjust the photo to like primarily bring out the pinks and blues and kind of give it that like very classic like neon at night sort of look? Mm-hmm. And then I found a YouTube video that explained it so quickly, so easily, it was so accessible that I was just like, all right. So this is how I'm going to be able to like better envision the colors I'll use and sort of like how it'll separate in the future. Well, a lot of it is just not not even knowing that stuff exists, right? It's not. Oh, absolutely. So it's not so much. I guess it is wasted time, but it's like how would you how would you know? Right. That there's an easier way, unless because there's really not. I talked to I think it was Dad Socks, and he's really good at graphic design. He was saying you know people just get better at that and they'll. they'll produce better stencils but there's not a lot of videos that show that like they'll show like after it's posterized maybe doing bridges but but there's nothing that takes it from okay here's your photo this is what you adjust this is like how you would color this in there's not a lot of resources for stuff like that from start like from absolute start to finish that are out there that i've seen right well especially if you want to get into like yeah how do you translate that into stencils and mm-hmm. one of the things I kind of try to do, too, is, like, if I know I'm going to make a 22-layer stencil, I'll actually break it down into, like, 35 colors. And then I'll hand-select to kind of narrow it down because I don't want to lose some of those details. And I'm sure there's some graphic design or Photoshop knowledge that could, like, kind of do a lot of that work for me. But then it's also, yeah, like... It's not even just knowing what you want to find, but like actually finding it. Like what magic keywords do I need to type in <laughs> to find? Because I mean, in Photoshop, I remember, you know, when Photoshop version two came out, you could buy like the Photoshop Bible, which was like a 2200 page book of like all the things you could do in Photoshop. And it's like, I'll maybe use 1% 
of what Photoshop is capable of. And I still think that's true. Like, there's so much on there that if it were my job to use this every day in a creative capacity, like, I'm sure I would learn maybe 30% of it. But, like, the number of people using the software to its full potential is probably, like, such a small. It's kind of overwhelming, like, just what's on YouTube, right? If you just search, like you said, Photoshop, color separation or whatever, there's probably a thousand videos. You're like, which one of those is going to apply directly to to what I'm trying to do with it? So I've seen some that, you know, it, it explains it, but it's like, well, that doesn't help what I'm trying to get my final product to look like. So totally. it's still, yeah, it's still kind of frustrating. I'm sure I could find a place too, where like I build swatches for every single color in the Montana line. And then mm-hmm. when I do my color separation, it automatically makes the colors that I have available. But it's like, how much of that work, you know, do I want to automate anyway? Is that a thing where you can do that? You can force it to, I think you can, yeah, choose. I think you can, uh, like, I think you can live tr- live image trace based off of swatches. At least you used to be able to. I mean, who knows what exists now? I mean, they just updated Photoshop last week in a way that just really confused me. But yeah. uh, you used to be able to have, like, a swatch panel that when you live traced, it would pull it the colors from the swatch panel. And I tried to like figure it out once and it was like way too much effort. And I was like, I want to, I want to do some of this on my own anyway. Like I would get so lazy and I would like probably not end up with the actual best color choices. If I did it this Mm -hmm. way, I would end up with like what a computer thinks my painting should look like, which is kind of like the funny thing about laser cutting too. And I mean, we're probably in one of the only hobbies or whatever. People are so insistent that we should you know, have machines do what we're trying to do. And like how absurd that is in like a real world context. Like you can't tell me that, you know, digital music, there's nothing wrong with digital music, love digital music. But is anyone going to like a guitar player being like, you know, you could just do this all digitally, right? Like all the sound files are there. You just need to like, you could just recreate all this digitally. And you can't tell me that you wouldn't be like super disappointed if Eric Clapton came out with like a new guitar album that was all created digitally and he had never picked guitar for a single note. And yeah. so that's kind of the difference I see between like automating a lot of this work and like laser cutting and having Illustrator and Photoshop do everything and kind of doing a lot of the work yourself. Well, I mean, people went to the, uh, I forget what concert it was, where they had the hologram Tupac a few years ago. And I remember hearing like people thinking like that, well, that's just going to be a thing now. People are just going to go to shows and watch <laughs> watch holograms perform. I mean, that is like, going to be a thing. I think it's going to happen in movies too. Like eventually we're going to have like another James Dean movie where they just CGI James Dean and get someone to like voice act it out. Oh, well, they did that in the in one of the Star, the Star right. Wars. Right, right, right. And people people lost their shit over that because it was yeah. um it was it was Carrie Fisher obviously for the one and then the uh, grandma oh, was his name yeah yeah and he'd been dead for a while and they right. CGI'd him in quite a bit yeah, yeah that was that was weird though because he popped up and I'm like I'm pretty sure he's dead so like, I didn't yeah. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> yeah I didn't find out till like after I was like well maybe I'm just wrong but now he's yeah he's very dead yeah he was old when the original came out he's <laughs> yeah that's what I thought and that was like what I was 
seven. So right. that's funny. I get the laser cutting thing. I like, I just enjoy, I mean, I'd say this to everyone. I just enjoy hand cutting, but right. I totally understand if people want to do it. Me too. And I mean, like there's a place for all of it. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think the, the painting part is actually the harder part maybe than cutting them out. Once you get to totally. a certain, a certain stage in your, in your stencil career. So yeah, what design cutting it is just like, I mean, your brain goes kind of dead as you just sort of go into robot hand mode. But, <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, like I said, like, it just depends, like, what you're trying to do with stuff. Like, there's nothing wrong with doing this as a hobby, as doing it as a full-time thing. You know, if all you want to do is, like, pop portraits, that's fine. If, you know, you want to do more, like, architectural stuff. Like, there's a market for all of this. And, like, mm-hmm. if, you're, if your process involves laser cutting, it's just... You know, your work isn't defined by your process. For me, it's an interesting part. And, you know, I I think one of the deterrents for me to laser cut is I do think people and collectors enjoy the hand cut act of it. And mm-hmm. so many people, including collectors, they want to kind of, you can always tell when someone is trying to figure out how the money works. So they'll be like, oh, how long did this take you? And, and then they'll like look at the price tag and in their head they're like oh so you think you're worth like four hundred dollars an hour or whatever oh. it is yeah that's interesting and then if you told them that it was hand cut they'd be like you can tell when they're they're a little more appreciative and they're like oh you're actually like working working like that's a pain in the ass to do and i yeah. feel like if i was like yeah i just laser cut this all but i have these like multi-thousand dollar price tags they they would just be like what so you're just like coloring by number or something and so Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with any of it and collectors are going to care and like digital art is becoming more popular anyway and there's nothing wrong with digital art and so there's like so many things going on that depending on what your audience is and like what you're trying to do with it like there's so many factors in play that there's a right or wrong answer it's just for me and what i'm trying to accomplish and like sort of the world that i'm trying to exist within this is what works for me Yeah, it's it's weird, right, too, that there's so much space in what I feel like is such a, a narrow hobby field that there's still so much variance within it to where we're not really like nobody's really stepping on anyone's toes because we're really all kind of doing something different. Right. Well, and it's weird, too, because, I mean, I feel like I've, you know, I've heard it more towards myself where people see my work and be like, oh, have of these 12 stencil artists where I'm like you wouldn't go up to like an oil painter and be like, have you heard of these random 12 oil painters? It's like, no, there's like a bajillion of them. Mm-hmm. But because stencil artist is such like a niche thing, I think people just assume we're all buddies and, you know, trade in <laughs> tips and tricks. And I mean, it's been interesting because on your earlier episodes, you've mentioned a lot about like stencil revolution and Reddit. And like, I was never part of any of those communities. And so... For me, it's just been like, I've just been on my own. And I have a lot of art friends, but none of them are into spray paint or stencils. And so it's kind of like just a different corner of the community. But yeah, it's been really interesting to hear how you guys have all been having fun without me, basically. <laughs> well, it's, it's also like we kind of just know of each other, but I'd never like sat down, obviously, and, and talked to anyone for like an hour and picked their brain. But it's we kind of like just knew each other's work kind of thing and and i was 
you know, I've lived in small towns mostly and like, so there's no one around here that does this or those were the resources I had back then, you know? So right. that's kind of how I, that's how, that's how I learned. So, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really cool though. It's been cool to get to know everyone has been so interesting so far, which I kind of figured going in, but it's still cool to see everyone's different personalities and how they, how they come at this hobby. Oh, totally. And so many of uh, I mean, it's, from what I can tell, we're all coming from the, since I've listened to them all now, uh, we're all coming at it from like very different intentions, like what we're hoping to get from this. Like, you know, you had a few people who were like interested in murals and personally, I can't wrap my head around how anyone could possibly pay me enough to do a mural. Um, <laughs> but you know, but that's a cool thing to get into. And obviously people are able to do it successfully in a way that makes sense for them monetarily. And then there's going to be people who, one of your folks mentioned that some people just want to, you know, print out Deadpool stencils at Comic-Con and make 20 bucks a pop. And like, that's what mm-hmm. I do. And I'm not interested in at all in that. And so, yeah, it's just, it's fascinating to figure out what people's drive behind this is because I could never spend this much amount of the amount of time I spend. I have to see like a dollar sign around it. I couldn't just do this for fun because I mean, it's just so much time and it's expensive too. And I mean, I have all my panels custom built by someone locally who luckily I found and who makes them rather inexpensively, but all my paintings are on wood panels. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, the spray paint costs and I have a studio downtown that I paint in. And so it's like, not it's not an inexpensive hobby for those who are just in it for fun but i mean if that's what you think that's fun good for you yeah i, I feel personally attacked here i mean there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong <laughs> with not doing it for the money like hobbies should not be about money and there's kind no, of a learning joke in my group that i'm not able to do anything <laughs> just for the fun of it yeah, like everything I have to be like very productive around and I get a lot of production guilt around my art. Like if I'm not pushing out a certain amount of work every month, I like, I get real guilty about it and I'm just like really hard on myself. And you know, I'm in the studio 10 to 12 hours a day. And so in my mind, like the hustle is part of it and the hustle is actually part of what makes it fun for me. But if I was just creating to create, I, I just, it, my drive would be so different and like what I'd be creating would be different. And, you know, I, it's great. People want to do this as a hobby. And I think it's a great thing that a hobby that people can monetize. I mean, I know that you've done some commissions and sold some stuff and like everyone you've talked to, it's like, even if this is like their side hustle or their hobby, like most people are able to monetize it because it is a cool art form that you can kind of like find your style and explore um for me it's just i'm really driven by that dollar man yeah no worries well i I accept your apology there you go we're good (laughs) yeah yeah that's fine (laughs) no i'm just i just kid well it's cool because i mean it's a hobby you can turn into something bigger anytime you want so like i have a ton of friends who you know they're not represented by galleries but they're like artists who are like regularly work on their craft I wouldn't mm-hmm. call them hobbyists, but I mean, like, at the moment, like, their work is just stacking up in an office. So it's like, it all has to start somewhere. And I mean, I didn't get, like, really genuine gallery representation until, like, three or four years ago. 
And before that, you know, I was selling out of my studio because I'm part of Art Walk and doing all this other stuff. And so, you know, it's all just part of the journey. Yeah, I, I would like to kind of start moving that direction, I think, this year. Now that I'm, I mean, I took a few years off just when we started having kids. It was just right. didn't have the time. And they're a little bit older now. And then, you know, I'd like to, once things start opening back up, get, you know, get more involved in our art community here. Because we do the art walks and we have a few galleries and, you know, it wouldn't be obviously like being in Seattle doing it, but, you know, it'd be. No, it's so great. It'd be something. So, yeah, yeah. I mean. Well, and for me, it's also like my self-esteem for the month in boots. Like every month I have 400 people in my studio. Well, under normal circumstances, um, just coming through for Art Walk and, you know, just kind of getting all the people excited about what I'm creating. Like that's essentially what fueled me <laughs> for the next 30 days. Well, that's really cool. So is it just, is it your workspace or is it like a, a co-op kind of situation? Or So I have like this, uh, I think it's like 650 square foot studio that's just mine. Um, but it's in this building called Tashiro Kaplan where there's, you know, probably 20 other regular art studios on like the main mm-hmm. floor. And then above, oh, wow. owned by a, uh, it's owned by a nonprofit who has like live and work art spaces Uh um but for every month since this is like the most concentrated area of studios that you can kind of just go door to door and there's galleries galleries and everything probably the main hub i would say for art walk here cool yeah wow that's really cool it's amazing i was very fortunate to get into this building and that i can spray paint in here it's pretty insane Uh, yeah it's probably it's probably nice to have just a dedicated creative space too it is. And I mean, and that's kind of what helped me push to that next level is, you know, I used to work out of a spare bedroom in my apartment. Um, but, you know, I'd get home from work and the last thing I'd want to do is like go back to work. I would on the couch and then just stay on the couch. Whereas <laughs> when I come here, there's like a purpose. I'm surrounded by all of my spray paint and everything I need. So, yeah, it's not as many distractions. Yeah. And I mean, and it's a month, like it's, it's not inexpensive. So it's like, I'm, it also kind of drives me like, you know, if I'm paying $800 a month to be here, I'm going to, I have to like put in the work. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. If it's a motivator. I did have one more note of something you said during your video Yeah. about, <laughs> about how you cut out stencils. I just want to make sure I heard you right. Yeah. You are you, so you, I've heard of these people. I've never actually talked to one. You hold the blade. You hold the blade up against your finger. Did I hear you right when you said that? Yeah. So can you, uh, yeah. Can you explain how that how that came to be. Uh, so I, since I was a child, I've held my pens and pencils, sort of like a troglodyte. I'll have to just send you a picture of how I hold my pen. <laughs> it's like I clutch it like a Neanderthal, basically. And when I started doing stencil stuff, I have a and a little better now. Because I've kind of figured out a weird way to set up my blades where it still looks really silly, but it works for me. But anyway, but I really hug the blade and I'm like as high up on the, on the neck of it as you could possibly get. And it's just like for more control. But yeah, if, uh, my, the, the tip of my ring finger on my right hand has like, a really thick callus on it from just where it's been cut over and over and over. 
and then on my thumb where the thing rests again i also uh-huh. have like a pretty substantial callus just from where the the uh the handle has been i recently tried to switch to a kiwi handle so there's a company called ergo kiwi uh-huh. i've seen this they make these huge hunky handles but you don't have enough like turning capabilities with it mm-hmm. so it just didn't work for me but what i use is like um i like the idea from the last one of the rubber grip on a regular exacto handle but the one i use is sort of like a craft exacto handle and they used to come in black which was great but they come in pink now which is a little unfortunate um but they're made for old grannies who apparently do a lot of exacto work I have one of those. Yeah, no, I have the pink one because I lost my black one. Yeah. I had to order a new one and it's pink. Yeah, that's exactly. what I use. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. But it like the idea behind ergonomics basically is like the wider your hand grip gets, like the better it is for your hand. And I yeah. keep joking that, you know, this is eventually not going to cut it. And eventually I'm just going to be using like a blade stuck in like the side of a tennis ball. I was going to say, you just need one of those like little mini screwdrivers and just stick a blade in the top and that'd probably be even better oh totally well and i tried to use they also came out with like a one that fits on your finger uh-huh oh. i don't know if you've seen that but that doesn't work uh-uh. either because it's really just meant for like pulling towards you and not like churning because your finger obviously can't like do everything it needs to to make that work but yeah i've tried it all I, you said it and i was trying to even i wouldn't even grab my knife <laughs> like, i was like how would this even work and you just I'll don't slice the shit out of your finger. Yeah, but now I yeah. now I get it. Oh no, That's there funny. are and I and I don't feel it anymore because of the calluses. <laughs> um, so you know, it works out in the end. But yeah, it is crazy. It works. Whatever works, I guess, right? Yeah. And I I'll send you a picture though, because even with okay. the pink handle, I now set my blade up at the, like this really funky angle. But man, it works so much better once you figure it out. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. I don't. I don't think you're gonna convert me, but I'll. I'll give it. A, I'll give it a look. <laughs> On the last one too, he said I ordered the knife he talked about too, and I'm gonna try that out. He said that's easier for details too. So we'll yeah, see. You really we'll need see if the that ability works. to like turn the handle as you're cutting. Cause oh, we're like the handle. Yeah, the handle rotates, but the blade would stay. Yeah, because yeah. like to get some of those like tight corners, like yeah, it's it's a pain. Mine are small enough to where I'll end up just rotating the piece. But yeah, for the stuff you do, I can. That's not really an option. So someone else had mentioned that on your podcast too, where they rotate the piece and are just essentially cutting a straight line. And to me, that sounds more insane than putting your finger against the blade. <laughs> but if it right, fair, you, that's, fair enough, yeah, yeah. I was like, even in my mind, I'm like, like, what kind of like sorcery is this? Where like your page is just like perfectly scroll sawing around itself or something I just, it blows my mind yeah i mean i well i don't know i guess it's just because mine are small enough where i can do that but no that's what i do I'll, I'll do as much as i can without moving it and then i'll i'll rotate it and do the rest and that i mean just go hey, about it that way it works for you but yeah i don't every time i see like cutting videos i don't ever see anyone doing that i'm like well, something's someone's the oddball here and i guess that <laughs> i guess it's me I'm sure if we all had time lapses of all of our processes, we would all think 90% of stencil makers are just making things so much harder. <laughs> and I'll be one That's of them. Like, there's probably so many parts of my process where, it, I mean, it makes sense to no one but me. Yeah. Well, I think it's the 
kind of what we talked about. I think the Photoshop is probably the biggest time suck because yeah. we don't know the shortcuts. And then, so when I started doing all the bridges, I asked a couple of people and they said, they just draw them on, they like print them out and then they draw the stencils. And I did the opposite. I've been drawing them in Photoshop so I can see like what it's going to look like. Cause I'm not, I'm just not used to it yet. Yeah. Looking so, at you're, so you're drawing your bridges and not just cutting them as you go? Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I guess. But I mean, but, that way, I mean, but it works for you. Yeah, so I can see it just because it's new to me. So right. before I'd always hide them and I can tell when I'm cutting what's going to cover what. So it didn't matter. But now that I'm trying to, I just want to do a couple like that just to get, get it in my head. Like if I draw it here, it's going to look like this. Like oh, on where I can show where I can over. Yeah, where I can overlap things and what that bottom layer is going to look like, kind of thing. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to hide mine, and in most yeah. of my work, the bridges are very, not very obvious. And even you know, sometimes on the black layer, you know, there'll be some really obnoxious bridges in there that I'll just go in and hand spray over. Mm-hmm. Like I can't live with bridges that are too distracting because you don't want to like pull away from like the main part of your piece. If there's no other bridges anywhere, but all of a sudden like a really ghastly one in the middle, it stands out. But if your whole piece is kind of built around all these bridges just happening everywhere, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah. I think that's kind of the move. Like obviously you're not going to just draw like a, a straight line from one piece to another, but if you kind of draw and draw an, draw an artsy line maybe and, and put a bunch of little bridges inside that space, yeah, then it, it, it flows a lot better, but that's, even that's still a challenge, like knowing where to put them. Because I'll draw some, and I'm like, that just looks like shit. Oh, I don't like it. So. I mean, in so many of my early pieces, most of the things I dislike about my early work are my bridge. Yeah. There's one in particular where it's like many people's favorite of my work still, and I just can't even look at it because I'm like, whoa. Oh, that's well, yeah. I like that's the first thing like we see on our stuff, but most people right. don't know what they're looking at, so it's not a big deal. It's yeah. true, but man, it drives me. No, my parents have one. I I give mom pretty much anything, any of the pieces she wants, and she has one in her house. It's just like a constant reminder of my failures as an artist. Yeah, well, it's I talked about a couple of guys like the stuff you do at the beginning is going to be not great, right? So right, but yeah, luckily none of mine's around, so I don't I don't have to look at it when (laughs) I go to my parents' house. So I did uh, I did a piece for my dad. I don't know a few years ago. Uh, for his birthday. So they have that in their house. But other than that, but I actually like that one. So that worked out. That worked out well. Yeah. My parents basically have like the very first Joseph Steininger Museum. I think they have like 11 pieces in their house. Or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> like that. But since I make addition work, like, you know, most of my things are an addition of anywhere between, you know, two to 10. And so if my mom is like, oh, I like this one, it's like, all right, I'll bring a bomb. Like, so I don't, you know, a little bit of money on this one piece mm-hmm. you know i'll make it up on the other well that's cool that's cool if they're so interested in it and yeah want to hang all your your stuff in their house yeah it's been nice i mean and it's so important i mean whether it's your family or friends i mean you do need to find some sort of community i feel like that kind that you can like bounce ideas off of or just to support your work in yeah, in Seattle, there's kind of a few communities I'm a part of that it's just been nice to have someone 
have those people around. And even yesterday, I'm working on one of these pieces for the art fair, and I was sending my color matching to like five different people because I'm like, this looks good, right? Like, I'm not crazy. This all works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and luckily, you know, you need to find the people who are going to be honest with you and be like, why are you using that blue? Because that does not work. But yeah, I wish, um, I've talked about this before too. Like, Reddit is, and Instagram are the two big ones that I kind of frequent. Right. Um, and those are, and those are also hard platforms to get criticism on too. Like, I, I feel sure. like it's, most people are there to like be like, oh, this is a cool one, and if they don't like it, they just keep scrolling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're only getting like the positive reinforcement, which is cool. But I also yeah. want to know, like, I don't know. I'm pretty self-critical, so if yeah. I see something that's wrong, I'll usually just say like, I hate this part about it, but I'm yeah. happy with the rest. But it's still like, you know, like colors. Like I don't, I like well versed in color theory or anything like that. So that's definitely something it would help to have. Um, some outside feedback on stuff like that so oh totally i'm working on my color i was actually just texting a friend the other day it's like i didn't go to art school or anything i'm all self-taught and i and she was talking about how color theory really changed her work and i'm like man i really need to start looking into that because i'm sure like there's some really obvious things i'm doing that like more trained arts are like just shaking their head at. but it's Mm -hmm. oh i'm sure it's probably that and then and then learning how about light and shadows, it's probably, I'm sure totally. we could all, especially for kind of the stuff you're interested in, to make it look maybe more natural, to have a better idea of what, what's going on there. Right. Um, same for the stuff I'd like to move into that direction too. So, yeah, what did what did she recommend to you to learn about that? She didn't. She was just like, yeah, okay. you should. <laughs> just YouTube it, right? It can yeah. be on your Photoshop I mean, list, yeah. It's all on there. I mean, that the internet is a wonderful resource. It's just, yeah, finding the stuff you need when you need it. Yeah, and figuring out who you should listen to. So you're hope, are you hoping to move into more, like, cityscape kind of territory? That's, uh, yeah. I mean, I have a whole, like, backlog of photos I took that I would like to get to. Just, like, some abandoned buildings and stuff like that that I think would be really fun to work so, on. I kind of want to do some smaller ones and experiment with some color first. I don't know. Those look really cool in grayscale too, but I also kind of want to. Just a little bit of color would make it pop a little bit more, I think. Right. Well, in grayscale is nice because, I mean, if you're sticking with one brand of spray paint, you're kind of stuck in that like nine layer or 10 layer Mm -hmm. sort of gradient. So you kind of know like your minimum and maximum, and it's a little more plug and play. But you do get some really great like shading if you just black and white the whole thing. Talked to a guy, um, or I messaged him on Instagram, and he was telling me he used to do black and gray, or yeah, it's grayscale pieces just with black and white, and those are the only colors he would use and just make his own grays. That's great. I know. I, I went back and looked at his stuff. I'm like, just because I was asking him because his stuff it, like it blends so smoothly, and right. it's sometimes if you don't get the misting like just right, there's kind of a harsh break, even if it's not like a hard line. It's still like you know, you can still see where the color changes. Right. And yeah. I was asking him how he, how he blended it so well. And he's like, Oh, well, I just make, you know, I just make my own colors. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll, I'll try that. But yeah, and no, it's crazy how talented some people are at doing this. Yeah. I, that it's one of those, 
it's similar to like how Logan sprays it. It's like I I need a lot more control. I can't just sort of like wing it and hope that I'm mixing these two cans correctly. Uh, it just it I would drive myself crazy. Yeah, no, I'm, I'd probably be the same way. So, well, this has been a lot of fun, man. We'll get you out of here with we kind of wrap up with our, our tips and tricks as you've you've noted already or just like maybe general advice to people getting started in stencils oh yeah i mean i feel like i've mentioned some of them already but yeah just because you designed out a stencil like i feel like like look at it critically and kind of be intentional about what you're cutting because sure a computer can kind of like pull out the shadows and like kind of lead the way but like but make sure you're cutting stencils in a way that like makes sense for a finished product and like try to make it not look like it's been completely computer generated. like add your own style and kind of flair and like find that, find what works for you. And that's probably it. If anyone wants a critique on their work and cares what I have to say about it, you can Instagram me and I'll give you my two cents. Oh, well for sure. I may send some stuff your way then you, uh, can continue insulting me in my work. Yeah. We'll just keep it going. <laughs> uh, I've done started a lot where I'll go, like I'll make adjustments to individual pieces and then run my filters and then kind of go back and forth so I can see what it looks like and just keep, it's probably not the most time efficient way to do it, but that way I can kind of get a better idea where it's not, not totally at the mercy of the filters uh, throughout the whole yeah. piece. Well, and there's, I mean, and when you typically look at stencil art, you can kind of tell who's like just straight going off of however Photoshop posturized it and who's Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, taking that time to look at it a little more critically and kind of figure out like if some of these decisions make sense or not. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, a computer only do so much. It doesn't have any like aesthetic opinions about what it's doing. Well, cool. No, I think that's good advice. So I know you're on Instagram. Is there anywhere else that people can get a hold of you? Uh, Instagram's definitely the best spot. It's just joseph.steininger. I mean, I have a website that you check out uh, if you're curious about sort of what I've done there. But yeah, pretty much just Instagram. Okay. There's okay. a highlight reel of like my process, which kind of gives a little more behind the scenes sort of look. Oh, okay. I'll go check that out. I didn't notice that when I checked out your site, but well, cool. Well, all right, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Had a good time. Yeah, it's a good talk. Good. All right, man. Well, take care. Yeah. Take it easy. Chill. Bye. Bye. Thanks to Joseph for coming on to the show. And that just sounds odd when I say it. I told him before we got rolling that it's, it's rare to meet another Joseph. I bet lots of Joes, not many other Josephs though. And I wonder why, I wonder why that is. I mentioned on this episode about my my master plan of uh, stealing from all my guests, and I hope that everyone else has been able to learn something new that will help them with their own work. As always, all feedback is welcome. You can hit me up on Instagram at InThePerimeter or email at DeathByPaperGutsPod at gmail.com. And also, we talked a bit about Photoshop and stencils in this episode. So if anyone listening has the uh, solutions to our issues that we talked about, please let us know. And I really appreciate everyone listening. It really means a lot to hear from people that they're enjoying this. It has been a lot more work than I anticipated. I'm still doing 
all the editing myself, still kind of learning how to edit as I go. But it's been so much fun getting to talk to everybody, and I'm really glad that I finally stopped talking about starting this podcast and actually did it. And I'm sure my wife is very glad for that too. So thanks again. See you next episode.